in the manufacturer's literature is a table. Okay. And the table tells you for this model and this speed setting, um, how much airflow do I get at various static pressures? And it'll usually give you a total external static pressure of 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4. And then they go up to sometimes 0.8 or even 1.1 inch of water. Mm -hmm. And then so if you know your model and what speed setting you've selected, then you look at that table and it'll tell you how many cubic feet per minute of airflow that is. At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, what's up guys? Welcome back. So I'm out on site. I don't know if you can hear the echo here in the background, but I'm going to set this podcast up for you. And what we're going to do is have a really good educational conversation around airflow. We got Steve Rogers from the Energy Conservatory, and you can consider this a basic sort of introduction into airflow, why it's important, some CFM rules of thumb that we use in different parts of, of North America. Um, we're going to talk about external static pressure, total external static pressure as well. And at the end of the podcast, guys, if you want to check out the video on how to check this, I have a YouTube video. I'm going to leave the link in the summary or, or the notes to this podcast, but we're going to, we're going to get going on this really educational guys, about an hour long. It's really good stuff. This is the HVAC Know It All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by the Master Group and their Move Air lineup is pretty cool because what it is is ductless and it is heat pumps and central heat pumps. So the central Move Air is a machine that gets installed in a home. It's, it's an air handler with an indoor coil and then you match it with the outdoor coil. You pipe them together and now you have a centralized heat pump system all in one. You can add in heat strips for supplemental or backup heat as well. So if you guys are interested in going this heat pump route that a lot of people seem to be going and a lot of customers seem to be switching or semi-interested in switching, check out the Move Air lineup from Master Group. Check out master.ca. Now, as the rain pelts off the top of my van and my windshield here, this podcast is sponsored by Centos. They're a major player in blue-collar uniforms. I'm actually wearing a pair of their gray, stretchy, breathable type pants and they're super comfortable by the way they got carhartt stuff they have other solutions like rental programs they have uh, services where they wash and deliver the uniforms for your team as well so if you're looking for blue collar style uniforms and you're looking for solutions check out Cintas. there's a website cintas.com forward slash hvac know it all welcome to the hvac know it all podcast Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Morning, Steve. How are you? Great. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah, not a problem. This is going to be an educational podcast surrounding airflow. And, and I think there's a lot of technicians out there that are still afraid of airflow in a way not not afraid but 
there's there's this weird kind of barrier that separates them from the other things they do, like checking um, stuff with their with their meter or their gauges and to, to diagnose a system. Not a lot of techs are are privy or 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 have that educational background around airflow to diagnose systems that are just airflow related. And and I know this because I get a lot of questions from people. Hey, um, I want to learn more about airflow. Where can I go to learn about more airflow and, and how airflow works and, and how it can make or break a system. So I think this conversation is a starting point with that. It can help. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're here. So the first question, let, I'm me, just, ask, let me just say, let me just say that the, that go. barrier yeah. is well earned. Um, it's, it's hard to measure airflow and a lot of really smart technicians have stories about trying to learn it and only to fail because the tools, the technology, is really challenging and especially in residential systems where there's just no there's no long straight run which is what you want yeah uh, to easily measure airflow okay so by the end of this conversation if just keep this in the back of your head I, i'd like to get some basic ways that an everyday tech can start checking airflow just just as an introduc introductory way to start the process of checking. I don't want to make this too complicated uh, as this because we can have another conversation or two or three um, over the next couple of months, three, four months, and we can elevate this. May, maybe make it into a series if, if you want. Um, so yeah, maybe at, at the end of this conversation, let's have a few ways that the average technician that is a, afraid or not afraid, but I, I think you understand what I mean. I think the audience understands yeah. what I mean to, to, to check airflow at the most basic level, just to get an idea of what might be going on. Yeah. Is that good? Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds okay. good. Perfect. So first question I'm going to ask you is why is airflow important? Well, let's start with air conditioning. Cause I think it matters more for air conditioning than it does for, um, for heat uh, furnaces. And the reason it matters is for two reasons. Um, when you look at the air conditioning system and its AHRA rating, I'm not sure. Do you guys use AHRA in Canada as well? Or yeah, I mean, I mean, th things are pretty standard across North America here. For okay, yeah. So, so that AHRI rating tells you how much cooling the system is going to do, and also how much. Um, and it breaks down the cooling into latent and sensible, or in simpler terms, dehumidification and you know, reducing the temperature. But if you dig into the tables of what that system is actually doing, um, it depends on the airflow. HRI, you know, standard um, uh, numbers are based on 400 CFM per ton of cooling. Mm -hmm. And so you need to understand what happens if you go higher than that and what happens if you go lower than that. Because you can, it's right there in the table. Um, and generally... What happens is if you go lower than 400 CFM per ton, you're going to get less total cooling, a little bit less cooling, but more importantly, you're going to get more dehumidification and less temperature reduction. And if you go above 400 CFM per ton, you're going to get the opposite. You're going to get a little bit more total capacity and you're going to get less dehumidification and more cooling of the air. And almost every manufacturer has this right in a table in their literature where they've got a, you know, three different airflow settings, kind of like a high, medium and low. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to deliver for the customer, you know, that upgraded seer that you were successful in selling, you know, you should really understand if you're able to deliver that, because if you're not 
setting it at the correct airflow, then you're not able to deliver the efficiency that they paid for. You may not be able to keep the house comfortable because, you know, if there's a lot of humidity going on, you need to be able to deal with that. Um, and, you know, depending on the house, you might have more humidity to deal with or less humidity to deal with. And that should be part of your load calculation. Um, and ideally, the load calculation includes a measurement of how leaky the house is mm -hmm. just done with the blower door. Yeah, now, that, I, I know right. that's a that's a <laughs> that's a lofty ideal that most technicians are are not going to get to, but you know if you've done a couple blower door tests or you've been around it, you sort of can get a feel for okay, this is a leaky house or this is a newer, tighter home, especially in places where you know new homes have to be tested, um, and that is a, a key thing that you should be aware of when you're sizing up a new system. Is uh, okay, am I dealing with a, a leaky house that might have a lot of humidity to deal with? Or am I dealing with a, a tighter, newer home where that's likely to be less of a problem? Can I, can I, so I, I, there, there's a, there's this thing with rule, rules of thumbs. A lot of people don't like them. Uh, yeah. A lot of people do like them, but at the end of the day, a rule of thumb kind of gets you in, in a ballpark. And then from there on, you can use measurement tools. You can use scientifically built charts or whatever to, to really dial things in. So let yeah. me throw these rules of thumbs at you. And I want to see what you think, because you mentioned different airflows. Um, so, so for instance, like if we're in a state like Florida, very humid, yep. we want sort of, uh, that's 400 CFM standard. We kind of want to lower that right to maybe three, three fifty ish CFM, uh, yep. per ton to, to get rid of that, um, that, that moisture. But if we're in a state like Arizona, for example, where it's drier, unless it's their monsoon season or whatever, uh, if it's drier, we want to take that CFM per ton up to, let's say, 450. I know I'm just throwing rules of thumb numbers at you, but is that yeah. kind of is that kind of along the lines that, of, of what that's we That's exactly do? it. And we have a map that we, uh, we um, put out there in, when we train people and say, look, we know you're not going to do a load calc on every house, but if you don't know anything, you at least know where you, where you live and work. <laughs> and so in the, you know, Humid southeastern part of the country, 350 CFM per ton. Um, in the western states, you know, including Canada, if you're in Alberta, you know, you're probably 450 CFM per ton. You know, in the eastern part of the country, it's 400 CFM per ton. And then there'll be a narrow strip along the, you know, the, the west coast where you're, you're back down from 450 to 400 because it's, you know, that um, marine climate and there's a little more humidity to, that they have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. So we, we cleared that up. So I, you can go on with, with what you were discussing. So, I mean, you're talking about for, for AC, do, do you want to continue that conversation with the AC or do you want to compare that to if you're running heating now? Um, yeah, let's, let's break into heating and then we'll talk about maybe how to measure it. Right. Okay. So, um, in heating, uh, it's, it's less important to get right on the nose because typically furnaces have a wider range of acceptable airflows for one thing. But if you're not measuring at all, if you don't know at all, there can still be pretty big problems with a furnace if the airflow is too high or if it's too low. So uh, many technicians will know, uh, you know that there's the high limit switch in the heat exchanger of most combustion furnaces and um, that the the burner will cycle off if it gets too hot. Well, usually that's a sign of low airflow. Uh, you know, as 
if less air is going through the heat exchanger, but the burner's putting out the same amount of BTUs, it's going to run hotter and it's more likely to get up to that, that limit and then shut down the, the combustion. So if a system is cycling on the high limit constantly because the airflow is too low, then that's going to cause the heat exchanger to run hotter and it's going to cause um, combustion to happen, or sorry, corrosion to happen faster than if it were cooler. Mm-hmm. On, on the low flow side, you can also have problems because in if it's a, an 80% furnace, the heat exchanger is not designed to have liquid water in it. But if you put too much airflow through the heat exchanger, you can actually get the heat exchanger cool enough that you'll get some condensation on the inside of the heat exchanger and lead to pitting corrosion, you know, from the inside out. Um, but even on a condensing furnace, you know, 90 plus percent furnace, um, you don't want uh, condensation to happen in the primary. It's only supposed to happen in the secondary heat exchanger. But again, if you crank the airflow up too high, then instead of having all the condensation happen in the secondary, you can actually get the primary heat exchanger cool enough that right at the end of the primary, it starts to condense on the inside and you get corrosion from the inside out. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with a a furnace, um, you're not so much concerned about, you know, uh, humidity or or anything like that, but it's about durability of the equipment. Okay. So you said we'll, we'll, we'll have this discussion around furnaces and then we'll talk about how to measure it. So how would one measure the airflow? Uh, let, let's say, let's say they're, let, let's say it's a, it's a, um, an air handler. It can be a furnace or an air handler, whatever. It doesn't matter. Cause depending on where you, where you live in, in North America or anywhere else in the world and you're standing in front of it, how do we measure the airflow of that particular appliance? Well, you, you probably are familiar with the most common tool used to measure airflow, which is the handometer. You know, if you hold your hand over the supply duct, <laughs> yeah. and if you feel air coming out, then it's good, right? Yeah. Okay. I had, you so, know what, you, I want to tell you a joke. I had one. So when I, when, this is not a joke, this is actually serious, but it was, it was funny to me because of the, the world that I live in these days with, with trying to get to the bottom of how to do things right. It was, a, it was a service call on a weekend at a building I used to take care of when I worked at my, uh, at my last company. And, and what had happened is somebody had left, uh, or they loaded up way too many pallets in a walk-in box, right? And um, it brought the temperature up because they overloaded it, right? They didn't, th- yep. they're bringing in warm pallets and they brought way too many in. The door was open and closed and open and closed and, and the warm pallets raised the temperature, caused the service call. And... Um, the tech that went out was was checking some things and there was nothing really wrong. It was just that the box was too hot for the, I guess, the size of the equipment and how fast they loaded it, right? At any time you're loading walk-in boxes, you have to be careful. It's like taking a, uh, it's like taking a cold fridge that's empty, right? This is how I compare it this is yeah. to my customers. I'm like, imagine you had a cold fridge right? It's empty. But now you take some beer that's been sitting out in the summer heat and you load that fridge with warm beer. What do you think is going to happen to the, to the, uh, the box temperature of that fridge? It's going to go way up. And it's not because yeah. the fridge isn't working. It's because you put way too much heat into that box at one time. Anyway, so yeah. the tech, one of the things he said in the meeting was, I think one of the, the evaporator fans is, uh, 
is not running the, the way it should. He's like, I close my eyes and I put my hand up to it and it had about 10% less airflow than the other ones. And I'm like, wait a minute, you, you did this with your hand, with your eyes closed. He's like, yeah, and it's about 10% less. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the, the sensitivity of the handometer goes way up if your eyes are closed. Yeah, sure. that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy's so, been in the trade for like 30 years and it just blows my mind. It, anyway, anyway, let's go. I know some, you know, some old experienced technicians that I would not be surprised if they can get within 10%, but most guys can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I've tried it and it's really hard to, to feel even a 50% difference. Yeah. Um, in airflow coming out, you just like have identical registers and one's flowing 50 CFM and another one's flowing hundred CFM. You probably can't tell. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, uh, in more seriousness, you know, that's, um, the, the joke and, but also the reality is that most people don't know how to measure airflow. And if they put their hand in front of a supply register and if air is coming out, they assume it's good. Um, and you know, you've probably been on social media and seen, um, people ask about airflow and the response of the technician is always the same. Airflow is good. Well, how do you know? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you put your hand in front of the, the supply register. Mm-hmm. So, but there's better ways to do it. So the, the most basic way, and it's still a, a good solid way to do it is to use the airflow tables that uh, are printed by the manufacturer. And what you need to do is to measure the total external static pressure across the system. So if it's a furnace, that's going to be, you need to make a pressure measurement after the furnace, but before the evaporator coil. And that be, can be tricky if you've got a case coil that's mounted directly on top of a furnace. Um, but you've got to get a pressure measurement in there. That's, that's where you need to measure the supply side. Yep. And then on the re- return side, you need to measure after the filter. So again, if you've got a filter rack that's, you know, screwed directly onto the cabinet, then, you know, you can usually go in through the the hole where the wires go in and that's a, a good enough place to get it. And so, just, just, just hold, hold that thought. I have a video of how to check external static pressure that I will attach just for the audience's sake. I will attach a link to the summary of this podcast in, in the notes. So oh, you, guys can go, you guys can go watch it after. And, and, and just let me bring up one other thing too. There's, there's a couple of ways that we can, we can check the, the, um, the static pressure on the supply after, the heat X and a couple of ways that we can do that. One, one in my video actually is removing the high limit switch and, and sticking it in there is, yep. I, I mean, you might still be a little bit at the top of that heat X, but if that's the only spot you can get to, cause if there's a case coil, um, then th- that's the only spot you can get to. If there's a case coil, I've actually recommended to people install like a little, um, fitting, maybe six inches high off the furnace right and then put the case coil on top of that and then that way you can actually drill out a small hole that small hole can be used to check static pressure and it can also be used to put like a bore scope in to check the heat exchanger if need be as well so there's a couple of different methods there a quick break i'm still waiting for this rain to taper off by the way to get this heat exchanger done i was on a different job site by the way on the intro than i was on this one this is just how i roll i got to get these podcasts done wherever i am in between things <laughs> but anyway i wanted to bring forth some more education on condensate neutralization all this education is brought forth by jjm alkaline technologies they provide condensate neutralization solutions for high efficiency heating appliances so we've talked that high efficiency heating appliances produce corrosive 
or acidic condensate, especially if it's below five on the pH scale. I was in a customer's home the other day and they had their tubing run from the furnace and the water heater along kind of the floor into a floor drain. Now the floor drain cap or cover or whatever you want to call it was corroded right out. I could push, push it with my finger and it was starting to like break apart. I noticed some condensate uh, damage around the concrete as well. So what I did was recommended some condensate neutralizers to that customer. They're going to think about it and get back to me. So just remember guys, it's code in some places. And if you're starting to corrode drains or anything around that condensate touches, look at some condensate neutralization solutions and JGM alkaline technologies has those available. The other thing I wanted to mention here is universal parts. I have tested and I have demoed the Emerson White Rogers premium flame sensor, which can be bent and cut to match many other different flame sensors on the market. It's great to have for a universal part in the van. The other one we're going to talk about is the Emerson White Rogers AllSpark. That is an ignition control that takes place of a thousand other ignition controls on the market. Through the White Rogers Connect app, you can set your controller up according to the existing or defective controller that you're replacing it with. And it's very easy to do. I have a video on my YouTube channel in order to do this. So go to my YouTube channel and check it out. Very, very simple, good truck stock items to have in your truck this winter. Yeah. So another one that we've done is um, usually there's nothing at the very top flange of the furnace. Mm -hmm. And so if you use um, a quarter inch or drill bit or, or step bit and you go in right where the at the top of the furnace cabinet, right where it starts to roll over from you know vertical to, to horizontal, yep. um, and drill right at the top there, you can usually put your static pressure probe in there and it'll sneak right over the top of the insulation that's on the inside of the cabinet. Okay. Uh, so you don't have to worry about getting around the insulation. Okay. That's another and, way to do it. Okay. And then as, as we kind of are, are talking about this in an educational way, I want to talk about the static pressure tips that, that go in uh, because I've seen arguments on, on which position they should face because they, they, they have that uh, rounded tip, right? That's, that's closed, yep. but on the sides, they're open. Um, so I've seen debates where you, you got to point them towards the air. You got to point them um, with the air or some people say it doesn't matter. So what's your thought on that? So they should be pointed into the airflow. That's, that's um, the way I do it, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. That's, that's the correct way to do it. Um, however, we've done um, some testing and those um, L-shaped static pressure tips are designed so that um, if you put it in backwards, you get almost exactly the same reading. Okay. If you put it in sideways, you get pretty close to the same reading. So in, in the sideways, it's because it's got holes on the left side and the right side. And so, you know, you get the positive pressure on the upstream and a little bit of negative pressure on the downstream and it kind of averages out. So... If you use a static pressure tip, um, you know, you're supposed to point it into the airflow, but we've done enough testing to know that in any orientation, it's, it's better than nothing. Okay. So especially, I mean, imagine if you've got, um, a filter rack right on the side of a cabinet, mm -hmm. I'm sure you do this in, in, uh, your neck of the woods as well. Well, if you put that L-shaped probe in the, in the side of the cabinet, you, you can't get it pointed into airflow. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to point up or down. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, that's still going to give you a good measurement is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So in order to, to check this, we need, we need a few things. We need uh, a dual port manometer. 
we need some tubing, obviously, to go with your manometer, and we need two static pressure tips. Not and and a lot of people confuse. I've I've shown pictures of static pressure tips before, and people go pitot tube, and I'm like, no, it's not a pitot tube. It's a static pressure tip. There's a difference between the two. So, yep, dual port manometer, tubing, static pressure tips, and a place to check after the filter and after the heat exchanger if it's a furnace, but before the AC coil. That's the point we're at now, right? Yep. Okay. And if you got a fan coil system, then you're going to be measuring the static pressure, you know, from uh, um, just at the inlet side of the cabinet and then at the outlet side of the, you know, where the blower is. Uh, and that can be right in the, in the supply duct is often the easiest place to get that a couple inches downstream of the cabinet. Okay, perfect. But so once you make that measurement and there's a couple ways to do it, the, you mentioned using two static tips and two hoses and measuring the differential. Oh, there's that a different way. Yeah. That, that awesome. way saves you having to do any math. Okay. Um, uh, but if you, if you want to, you can also measure them separately, mm-hmm. you know, me- measure each one of those with respect to the room, mm-hmm. which is what, if you just leave the reference port off your manometer, yep. that's what you'll be measuring. And then, then you'll have to subtract them, but it's useful to do it that way sometimes because then you know how much of your static pressure is on the supply side versus the return side. You know, you know what I do for that? So, and, and you can tell me what you think about it. So if it's, in, it's actually in the video as well that I was talking about. So I'll check them. I'll have them both connected. Um, right. And then I'll pull one off, right. I'll pull the, I'll pull the, 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 the negative side, the return side off. And then I'll say, okay, there's my supply static. I'll put that one back on, pull my supply side off and go, okay, there's my, there's my return static right there. Is yeah, that absolutely kosher? Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a great way to do it because all three of those numbers are useful, mm-hmm. right? You want to get that total so you can look up the airflow, but you also want to know what's the supply side and how much is on the return side, because that can help you figure out and if you've got a high static pressure, what is, is my supplier or return duct system the bigger problem? You know, typically we look for either of those to be under 0.2. So if you've got 0.1 on your supply and 0.4 on your return, it's like, okay, this is high and the return is the problem here. Mm-hmm. So what, so, l- l- let me ask you that actually, because you just, you just hit on that. So let's say the, the typical cabinet th- that I see is they're asking for 0.5 inches, right? Of internal, yep. external static pressure. So let's say, let's say you got, for instance, let's say, let's, let's talk about it in, in both ways. Let's talk about high and let's talk about it in low. So let's say we, we hook it up and I've got like one inch, like I've got double the amount, right? Um, yep. And, and my my return is point point two five, like kind of what, cause I mean, I, I guess we want a balanced system, right? I should ask you that first. Do you think we should have a balanced system? If it's point five, do we want point two five and point two five to, as a balanced system? Uh, not, not necessarily. No. Um, because a, a lot of systems, um, I don't know in, in, uh, you're part of the, of, of the woods. Do they do, um, central returns or is it usually a return in every room? It, it, it depends. I mean, I, so you do, you do both. Well, yeah, there, there, there's both. And, and I've talked about this with people and, and our returns in most homes here are, are super weird because they're not ducted returns. They're basically, oh. they're basically built into the wall cavity. So return basically will, um, yeah. it, it'll come down, down it'll come down the wall cavity and it'll, it'll be just boxed in with, um, with it's a joist liner 
basically what mm-hmm. it what it is so that the studs will come down they'll create a cavity down to the the basement like most of these homes have basements that where i live here right so they'll create this cavity down to the basement and they'll just blank it off with joist liner so the air kind of and it's not it's not sealed properly there's that's just the way it's done and it, it baffles my yeah. mind that it's not actually ducted but i mean yeah, that, that's done that, done that, that way all across the the Midwestern U.S. too. Before about nineteen ninety, probably probably before about two thousand, almost always done that way. Okay, so let's let's move on to the to the balance thing, and then I'll ask you the question that I was going to ask. Yeah. You. So so the answer is what the system really cares about is the total external static. Um, okay. the, the reason to know how much is on the supply and how much is on the return is because that tells you if you do have a problem of high static pressure which is a super common problem, mm-hmm. then you want to know how to fix it. And the easiest place to fix it is going to be by modifying, you know, whichever side has a higher pressure. But it's really not a problem if you have kind of a wide open return and there's just, you know, just basically a great big filter on the return side of the cabinet, um, you know, and sucks air from, you know, so you got to sit in this system that's in a closet. You know, you might have very little return static pressure on a system like that. And, you know, you're fine if uh, the static pressure on the supply is still under under 0.2. Okay. All right. So let, let's get to let's get to the next set of questions here. So let's, so let's let me go. Let, let's go, finish go the process. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we on. talked about measuring static pressure, okay. but we didn't talk about what to do with it. Okay. Yeah. So um, in the manufacturer's literature is a table. Okay. And the table tells you for this model. And this speed setting, um, how much airflow do I get at various static pressures? And it'll usually give you a total external static pressure of 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4. And then they go up to sometimes 0. 0.8 or even 1.1 inch of water. Mm-hmm. And then so if you know your model and what speed setting you've selected, then you look at that table and it'll tell you how many cubic feet per minute of airflow that is. Mm-hmm. So um, the important things about that are you, you have to get the literature for the model you're dealing with. So yeah. on an older system, it can be hard to find the table. Yeah. Um, the other thing about uh, to know is that that table is valid to, for measuring airflow only when you have uh, a fairly a, a new or like, like new condition system. Mm-hmm. Because once your evaporator coil starts getting full of dust, if it's a fan coil, or once your secondary heat exchanger starts getting full of dust, or your blower wheel gets, you know, covered with dust, all those are going to start to change the relationship between pressure and airflow. Okay. Uh, so that table tends to no longer be valid. So if you've got a freshly clean system, it should be pretty close. Gotcha. But if the system's really dirty, then don't bet any money that just because the table said you've got 1200 CFM that you really have 1200. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So can I ask you my, my question now about the, uh, Absolutely. The, yeah, okay, go ahead. perfect. So if we, let, let's say we want 0.5, for example, right. Yeah. And then we measure our static total, total external static pressure and we have one, one inch. And then yep. on the, on the return side, we have 0.25. And then on the supply side, we have 0.75. We would look yep. at the supply side and go, wait, there's a problem there, right? Maybe a duct restriction, maybe like some vents closed, maybe the duct is undersized, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All, all good good culprits for what causes a problem like that. Okay. All right. So if if it's the opposite, let's say we're measuring, let's say we're measuring point. 
0.2 or something like that, right? And we're supposed to have 0.5. First of all, is measuring that low a problem in your mind? Or do we want as close to the spec as possible? Low static pressure is not a problem if you have enough airflow. Okay. But static pressure really matters less than airflow. And so if you have a good, simple way to really know the airflow and, and it's a lock, mm -hmm. um, then static pressure is less important. Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, if that system's measuring 0.2 and I've done a true flow test on it, and so I know that I've got the correct, you know, I know I'm at 400 CFM per ton, then great. I just have awesome ducts. <laughs> the system's not oversized. Okay. So low static pressure means diddly squat if you have the right airflow. Correct. Okay. Perfect. All right. So you mentioned true flow and I know that's, that's a, a product that you guys have. Do you want to talk about that for a minute then? Yeah. So I, I talked about the most common way that the best way for text are just getting into airflow and that's to use the manufacturer's table. But we actually manufacture a product called the uh, uh, digital true flow and a Bluetooth manometer that goes with it. And this device is used to measure the airflow through the system uh, by putting it in place of the filter. So it's, it's a grid shaped device that's got um, different size adapters to fit different filter slots or filter grills. Okay. And uh, it works with an app on your phone and it will walk you through a step-by-step -step process that helps you measure not just the, we talked about three static pressures that are all useful. Mm -hmm. And it'll measure all three of those plus the one downstream of the, um, of the evaporator coil. So you actually know the, the drop across your evap as well. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And so it'll, it'll measure all the static pressures and the airflow, and then it'll help you draw conclusions about, is this okay? If it's not okay, where's the problem? Mm -hmm. So we're, we're measuring all the static pressures and the airflow and we'll let you put your target airflow in. So if I'm in Florida, I'm probably picking 350. If I'm in Toronto, I'm going to pick 400. And like you talked about, if I'm in Arizona, I'm going to pick 450 mm -hmm. if I know nothing else about the system. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so that's a, a great way and it's, it's very accurate, you know, 5%. We're getting a lot of good, um, um, press about it. You can go to energyconservatory.com or look for our YouTube channel and you can find lots of video content with, uh, Chris Hughes is our local HVAC expert, um, showing you how to use it. Uh, walking through it and, you know, all the different uh, stuff that can help you figure out on the very, air side. Very cool. And like, we should talk about yourself for a minute. I, I mean, you're with, uh, like you said, uh, TEC, and I don't know why I was having problems <laughs> spinning it out before, but the Energy Conservatory. And I mean, what is your background within the, within the trade, Steve? Um, so I'm actually fairly... I consider myself new to the HVAC trade. I've been doing this, um, working with this company for seven years now. Um, but my background before that for, you know, 25 plus years is in airflow measurement and pressure measurement. Okay. And that's kind of the nuts and bolts of what our company does. So um, many people have probably not heard of the Energy Conservatory. You're, you're li more likely to have heard of the Minneapolis Blower Door, which is our most well-known product. Okay. And so, you know, if you've dealt with blower door testing for um, new construction or some people have heard of blower door testing for diagnosing comfort problems in a house, uh, that's our that's our most well-known product. 
along with the uh, the duck blasters or other thing. Okay, cool. So, I mean, you, you've got you've got um, a wealth of experience in in airflow. So, I mean, a lot of people say. Let me ask you this: a lot of people say that if you're cho- if you're talking about checking total external static pressure, a lot of people say, "Well, you're not really checking airflow at that point, right?" Um, can you, right. can, can you explain? Cause I mean, there's a correlation there though, right? I mean, th- there's, yeah. if you're static, it's total, your TSP, see, I'm having trouble spitting out words again. So I'll just say the, <laughs> if your total external static pressure is, is good, I mean, does that mean your airflow is good or, or, or vice versa? Like if, if there's a problem with your total external static pressure, but we just discussed low, um, low pressure total can be fine if your airflow is fine. Right. So do you want to explain the difference between static pressure and airflow and maybe the correlation between the two, just so we can kind of grasp that? Yeah. So the the basic science is that if you know uh, across a known restriction, Mm -hmm. the pressure drop can tell you the airflow. And so that's how the manufacturer develops this airflow versus static pressure table is they know the pressure drop across the evaporator coil or across the, you know, the furnace. And then they know what the fan's doing as well. So um, that is the, the relationship is across a known restriction. And the problem is also that phrase, the known restriction. So if I br- take a brand new evaporator coil and I've got 1200 CFM going through it. And I'm like, Oh, it measures exactly 0.2 today. And I come back 10 years later and it's got, you know, two inches of cat fur (laughs) covering the evaporator coil. You've never seen that. I'm sure. No, never. Um, um, you're going to have a much, the, the restriction has changed. There's more restriction, more resistance to airflow because of all that dust on the evaporator coil. So now instead of measuring 0.2 inches of water drop at 1200 CFM, you might measure 0.3 and you're only at 900. And so that's where the relationship between static pressure and airflow can lead you astray. You can't always know that the airflow is okay by only measuring the static pressure. Like I said, the table that the manufacturer publishes is valid for a new or a like new system. And, you know, dirt is, is the number one problem. But even, uh, even if it's like new, pristine, clean, but somebody put a different blower motor in, well, now you don't know either. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, you know, different horsepower motor, potentially, um, you know, different motor curve. They put a different blower wheel in that has a different blower curve. You know, all that matters. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, but what is the correlate? What, what, so if somebody's checking their total external static pressure, let's say they, they go and, and they, uh, they install a new system and it's startup day and they do their, their, their proper startup uh, of the, of the thing. And, and they are getting what the furnace asked for or the, or the air handler asked for as far as total external static pressure. Can they make the presumption that airflow is good at that point. If they're, let's say it's, it's, we're use, use the 0.5 number again. If it is 0.5 when they check it, can they presume that the airflow was good at that point? I'd say very, very good odds. I wouldn't say a hundred percent. I mean, I, I hear uh, stories about brand new house, brand new system and the drywall guy turned on the air conditioner to make his mud dry faster after sanding. 
And so brand new system is now caked with drywall dust on the evaporator coil because there wasn't even a filter in the mm-hmm. <laughs> in the cabinet. Yeah. Um, so uh, barring any issues like that, I would say if the system is like new and you have the, the manufacturer's table for that, um, you're going to be uh, pretty close. It's, it's a pretty good way to do it. I've also heard that uh, certain manufacturers tables are not as accurate as others. Mm-hmm. Um, and on furnaces in particular, uh, it actually matters which side of the cabinet the airflow comes in, whether it comes in on the motor side or the open side of the squirrel cage or the bottom of the cabinet mm-hmm. that matters a little bit. It's not going to like throw you way off, but, uh, but it matters a little bit, which side of the cabinet you're coming into. Okay. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question about booster fans, and I'm going to give you an example of an experiment I did in my house, and then we'll kind of sort of end the, the, the conversation off that way because it pertains to airflow in, in, in a major way. So there's a, there, there's, there's a company here in Canada, local. They're creating, a, I don't know if you've heard of AVX or not, but basically it's a device that you can hook up um, to your AC furnace type HVAC system, right? You can yep. check your return uh, temp, supply temp, your um, liquid line temperature, your suction temperature, and there's a bunch of algorithms mixed in there that kind of indicate there could be problems with your system at some point. It, it was kind of sure. similar to the Sensi Predict, but the the, the app um, is is like I, I like the app better. It's like a web based app, and it, there's just a lot of information there. So, so I had like a sense. Measure- are you familiar with MeasureQuick, I assume? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. For okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I got a sample of, of the AVX and I put it on my system. And the the owner, the CEO or president, Bob, after it goes on, he, he messages me. He's like, You had a, an alarm on your, on your furnace last night saying um, that you had high um, temperature difference across it. And I'm like, Hmm, interesting. So, I looked at what it was and I looked at the, the, the table for that furnace and it was higher than what it should be. Right. So my, my, yeah, so my you're temp- above the max. Yeah. My temperature difference was above the max. So, and I've talked about this before on the podcast in my house, the, my bedroom and the, the, the ensuite that's in my bedroom in the wintertime is always freezing cold. Always, always, always. So I wanted to try this experiment with a booster fan. So I just bought a cheap booster fan for hundred bucks from Home Depot, um, cut it into the supply going up to the ensuite that's in the bathroom. And I just plugged it in. I just ran an extension cord and plugged it in just to see what would happen. So it was noisy. My wife hated the noise that it made because it's vibrating. So I had to, I had to unplug it. It's just, like I said, a cheap booster fan. But what it did was it almost doubled because I have, um, I, what did I use again? I think I just used a Testo um, handheld rotating vane anemometer, and I just did like a yep. kind of like a, a, a traverse across the, the 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 floor diffuser. So it, it yep. almost doubled it almost doubled the CFM um, to the bathroom. Okay, it dropped yep. my it dropped my uh, temperature across the furnace by like six or seven degrees. It brought it back into spec, and it made my bathroom warmer which made the bedroom a little bit warmer. And I'm thinking, should I do this? Should I get a, a, should I get some nice booster fans with a speed control on it? And cause there's no way I'm changing the, the the duct going up to the bedroom because they're all hidden behind drywall. Right. I can maybe change the portion in the basement 
that's that's exposed but that's only a short run the major run is is on the outside wall that's that's sealed i can't get to it and i'm not ripping apart my drywall for that so what do you think about booster fans um sort of in the situation uh, i i explained to you and just in general to, to to solve some chronic issues where you can't get get to the ductwork itself so i think they can help um but remember that a, a fan uh only knows how to create a pressure difference mm-hmm. and so when you put it in that branch you also got to think about what's that going to do to the other branch that was branched off just before that branch because it's actually it's also going to lower the pressure on and and on the upstream side of the fan as it you know, increases the pressure on the downstream side of the fan. Mm-hmm. So what it can do is it can steal airflow from adjacent branches of the duct, especially if they're nearby, mm-hmm. you know, so let's say I've got, you know, a house and I've got, you know, uh, two bedrooms down the hall at the end, the left bedroom and the right, and the right bedroom and the right bedroom's too cold. So I put in the booster fan, I get more airflow, it heats up the right bedroom, but it could just, just steal a lot of airflow from the left bedroom since that's kind of like the path of least resistance mm-hmm. um, in an extreme situation you could actually steal all of the airflow and be sucking airflow from the adjacent bedroom <laughs> um, i don't think that the fan's powerful enough to do that but you have to think about where's the airflow coming from as well because you're shifting airflow from one place to another and it, it will boost the total airflow a little bit um, but it's also going to shift airflow from one part of it the system to the next because you you got a network of ducts here that's all interconnected. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is the the, the way the way the ductwork in this home is built. The the furnace is central in the basement. So the ductwork coming off the that moves towards the front of the house. Everything in the front of the house has I think way too much because I have a laundry room on my second floor, right? The laundry room mm-hmm. is it's small. Um it's like six by six, but the amount of air, like I have never measured it, but the amount of air coming out of that, that small diffuser for that room is way too much. You walk in there with the door closed in the wintertime, it's like a sauna in there. So yeah, it blows I, your hair back. Yeah. <laughs> and then my son's bedroom, which is over the garage, usually the rooms that are over a garage are cold. He always complains that his room is too hot because he's in the front mm. of the house and he's getting too much airflow. I, I can see there's a difference in the size of the ductwork and the duct runs in the front of the house compared to the back of the house. So if I'm stealing a little bit from the front to give to the back, in this case, I, I didn't care because I had too yeah. much in, in the front already. So I'm just saying from from a standpoint of if you kind of monitor it and, and you... And it, this is not obviously the best fix in the world. The best fix in the world costs money. You want to get the ducts designed properly. You might want to replace well, them. You or, might want to insulate them. Or at least them. balancing dampers, right? Do you, do you have balancing dampers in your system? Yeah, but my statics, uh, because because the, he, here's the thing about balancing dampers for me is if I, if I close down the one in the laundry room, the one in my son's room, but everything else is wide open everywhere else, what's that going to do to the, the temperature difference across my heat axis? It's probably going to raise yeah, it up yeah. higher, right? Yeah, that, yeah. If you if you're already, um, I'm already wide open for your. I'm already yeah, you're already open. at the max for your delta T. You probably don't want to be closing balancing dampers. That, exactly. That, that's yeah. right. That's right. So, yeah. um, that's why I tell people when I go into people's homes and and they've got half their diffusers closed off, I'm like, it's probably not a good idea to do that because you're probably causing a, a, a ma- massive airflow restriction in your system. You you don't see what's going on, but I mean, over time, that could cause problems, right? So, yeah. Do you do you know if your system's oversized? 
Um, yeah, I, I know it's oversized. It's, it's, yeah, I think it's, a. I think I have an 80,000 in my house, but I've, I've been going down the, the, the road of, of, uh, load calculations lately. And, and the recent one I did was, so I, it was a home it's, it's a five level back split. So it's got many levels. It's about 2,300 square feet. And the load calc that came in for it was like 45,000 BTU heat loss where it's got an 80,000 BTU furnace in it. Right. Yeah. No, I, I had exactly the same situation. I, I live in a, a 1958 one story with the full basement. And, um, I measured, I was monitoring the, um, the runtime of my furnace a couple of years ago. We had two nights in a row. It was minus 25 Fahrenheit and then it was minus 28 Fahrenheit mm-hmm. and only got up to minus 15 during the day. Mm-hmm. So it went, now that's unusual for us. It only happens once every 20 years. Yeah. But, um, I monitored the runtime and neither of those two nights did it ever run more than half the time. <laughs> So it's an 80,000 BTU furnace. So that means even on those two wicked cold nights, um, my load was under 40,000 BTUs. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And, and I've, I've, I've had, so I've had many conversations over the last year. I say about this time last year, I really started to take a deeper dive into kind of performance of a building with like load calcs, blower door tests, um, airflow, insulation, all that kind of stuff. And, and once in a while I'll throw out like, sort of like the last question I I, I asked was, um, to, to my audience was, and you might've seen this on Instagram, but it it was a home that was suffering from, I changed the, I changed the furnace in the house, right? Uh, because it had, it had a heat exchanger issue. It had some combustion analysis readings that were kind of not right. And the heat exchanger wasn't performing the way it should. So the customer wanted to change the furnace, but there was one room that was colder than the rest of them. And I said, Hey guys, um, this furnace is oversized. What do you think would happen if I reduced the size from an 80 to a 60, for example, and we got longer run times? Do you think it would help that cold room because the, the, the run times are now longer, the air is mixing longer. And some people were like, yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. I've done some, some courses and undersized equipment or not undersized, but pro like Oversized equipment is not good because we short cycle. We don't mix the air. We have short run times. Sizing it properly with a load calc will help with cold and warm spots in a house. And people are like, no, you're, you're basically an idiot. That's not going to help. <laughs> what, do, so, what, do you, what do you think about that? So I've heard lots of people, even smart people um, that I, whose opinions I trust, say that longer run times lead to more even temperatures. Yes, for but sure. But I have yet to see the data on that Mm -hmm. because here's what I go through that the physics in my head works like this. Um, if I've got, you know, the the two bedrooms, let's say I got the the left bedroom and the right bedroom and the, um, the right bedroom's too cold. And I replace that 80,000 B2 furnace with a properly sized 40,000 B2 furnace. It's going to run twice as long, Mm -hmm. but the proportion of airflow is still going to be the same. I'm still putting not enough in the cold room and too much in the warm room. So the, just changing the capacity of the furnace is not going to change what percentage of airflow goes to each room. You just get, you know, so you're still putting the wrong percentage in each room. So yes, it will run longer, um, but I'm not sure that that necessarily um equalizes the airflow. Um, I haven't seen any data to support that. 
Mm -hmm. So from here's what I know about longer run times in, from a standpoint of a pharmaceutical clean room, uh, because I used to take care of a lot of a lot of them, and a, a way the way these units were set up was basically they maintained supply air temperature. So let's let's talk about the supply air temperature they maintained. We're in Canada, but every pharmaceutical plant in the world, as far as I know, uses degrees Celsius, even even in the U.S. So sure, it, yeah. it was 19 degrees supply air temperature, and it maintained all the time. So the runtime was constant. So if you go into that pharmaceutical clean room, every single piece of equipment the air, everything was the same temperature, everything. Yep. So what I'm, what I'm saying is with this, if you go, if you longer run times, if you go into a room that's colder than, than before, because the furnace only ran for 10 minutes instead of half an hour, those longer run times were basically sweeping, cleaning for lack of a better term, the, 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 the things in the room, like a bed, a dresser, and it was bringing those those things closer to the temperature of the air, so they were equalized out. So, if if for for instance, if we walk into a room, the furnace is oversized. Maybe the air temperature it it hits and it shuts down, but the the things in the room, like cabinets, couches, they're still colder because they haven't had time to accept um, that warm air and absorb it in. Basically, is what I'm saying. So, with with these things maintaining the same discharge air temperature forever all the time you could point a, a laser thermometer at everything and everything is bang on the same temperature everything yeah and so that makes a lot of sense of course the, the air velocity in the room will matter mm -hmm. uh, you know another problem that i thing that i know is a problem is uh, when the supplier temperature is really high in a system like yours because you're bumping up against the maximum delta T, mm -hmm. um, you can have a problem with stratification. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't run very long, and so you know it runs for like three minutes. And you know, you've only, especially if you have a you know two story great room, um, <laughs> you don't get enough mixing to get the warm air down to where the people are. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's less of a problem if you cool down the temperature of the air coming out of the supply, mm -hmm. because it's now less buoyant compared to the room temperature. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so yes, the runtime will matter, but actually maybe what matters more is the supply air temperature. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned it was the supplier temperature was 18 or 19 C? 19, 19 C constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be very close to the same temperature as the room, which means you're not going to have any problem with buoyancy of the supply air. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's almost exactly the same density, so it's not going to float up and stick at the at the ceiling either. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if we were cool, if we were heating and cooling houses with air that's at a supply air that's at nineteen C, uh, yeah, we that was for in cooling. Was it warmer in in heating? It no, it, it's basically it's it's a uh, it's it's always in cooling. There, there's there's no okay. heat, there's no heating on these units because they're internal, right? Oh, um, sure, yeah, there, yeah. There's enough stuff you. in the rooms to generate heat people uh like so you're just yeah so you, that, that's another another reason that the walls can be the same temperatures because they're already inside another heated space yeah i gotcha but yeah that that makes a lot of sense that um you're just taking away the heat generated by the the um the uh the processing yeah. facility that, that's right that's right yeah anyway but so, so another thing to, to think about is yeah you, you get more runtime but also, if you've got a 40,000 BTU furnace, you might have much less airflow. So you're delivering cooler air, but at a lower velocity, mm -hmm. and that's going to make it a little harder to mix. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, yeah, I'm, like I said, I, I haven't seen the data yeah. and, and I'm skeptical until I've seen the data that actually bears that out. Okay. So you're not dismissing it. You just, you just want to see no, some no, I, data. I, I'm not dismissing. Yeah. I, I want to see data be, because like I said, you still haven't changed the fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem is that you're getting the wrong percentage of the BTUs into those rooms. Mm -hmm. uh, if you got a warm room and a cold room, that means in, in we'll talk heating season. Um, the cold room is not getting enough, a high enough percentage of the BTUs. And so just changing to a, a lower capacity furnace that runs longer is not going to deliver a different percentage of the air to that room. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the airflow is going to stay, or I shouldn't say the airflow is going to stay the same because a smaller furnace might produce different, a different amount of airflow, but your, your, your transportation method, the duct is, is still the same size, right? So, yeah. But in, in a situation like yours, um, you know, if you put in a smaller system, uh, now you can potentially, you, your static pressure will come down by quite a bit. You know, if you're looking at half the airflow mm -hmm. and right. now you might be able to use some balancing dampers instead of a booster fan. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking at, um, swapping out, uh, my, my system for a heat pump anyway. Uh, excellent. Just, just because it, it's kind of the. It's not because it's a trend. It's just because I, I've seen what the, uh, I've seen what a modulating heat pump can can do. Like just, I mean, it, it's smart. It kind of matches the 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 outdoor load, the indoor load, and and the compressor runs at the speed it needs to. It's not on or off. And my furnace in my home is not two stage. It's not modulating. It's just on or off. So yeah. I'm thinking about going uh, heat pump because we have some uh, some grants here up to five grand back from the government yeah. if you put it in. So basically, uh, if I do the work myself with the company, my company, uh, I'll, I'll get it in for free basically at, at the end yeah. of the day. Right. So, um, yeah, that's I'm, what I, and you go, you would go dual fuel, you think? Well, it, what I would do most likely is, is use a, a 10 kilowatt, uh, heater for supplement. Um, because okay, sure. for, from the data I've seen that 10 kilowatt heater in an area like this, it doesn't, it doesn't get utilized very much. It might get utilized yeah. on the really, really cold days that um, you might have a cold snap for a week in February. You might have a cold snap for a week in January, but that's when it's going to be utilized on on the on the days where it's kind of like the, the design kind of temperature and you don't have yeah. those freak days. You're you're not really going to utilize that that heater. Yeah, be be careful. Make sure you do the calculation. So if, you know if you're going to size your heat pump for heating in Toronto. Um, you might need more airflow than your 80 K furnace <laughs> and you might have a static pressure problem with the size ducts you have. Mm -hmm. So make sure you walk through the calcs and figure that out. We, we've actually got a tool that goes with, uh, the true flow that it can actually take, you know, once you do a true flow test, it can now predict if I put in a different size system, what will my static pressure be with the new system? Mm -hmm. And that's a fairly straightforward calculation to do um, that I would recommend because, you know, you might need, uh, you probably got what, maybe uh, two tons for cooling? Uh, it's it's two and a half. It's, okay. It's, it's two and a half tons. And I even think that might be oversized. I think I could have had a two ton in here, no problem. Just because yeah. it, it is a newer home. They say it's tightly sealed, blah, blah, blah. But I also have my HRV running constantly. So I have to make up that load yeah. that my HRV is bringing in because it doesn't, it's not an ERV, it's an HRV. So, I mean, it's still bringing in all that moisture in the summertime that I have to deal with too, right? So, yeah. But I've got a, <clears throat> um, 
I got a, just a single speed heat pump and a gas furnace. I replaced the old 80K with a 60K and a two and a half ton heat pump. And it's, it keeps me down in Minneapolis, goes down to about 15 degrees Fahrenheit um, before I have to cut over to the, to the gas. But, uh, works pretty well and, you know, it keeps me comfortable. Nice. Awesome. All right. So, I mean, let's, let's close this one off here, Steve. And then next conversation, we can, we can go a little bit further into, um, airflow and even balancing because balancing is something that a lot of people like you can talk to me about balancing on, on, on another podcast perhaps. Yeah. Okay, cool. We can talk about duct leakage too. That's it. Oh yeah. Duct leakage. I wanted to get into that, but this conversation took an hour. So we'll do, we'll do one on balancing and we'll do one on duct leakage. If, if that's cool with you over the next few months, I would love to. Perfect. Awesome, Steve. Thank you. Fabulous conversation guys. I hope this, I, if, if you're an airflow expert, right, this was just a conversation you can listen to and nod your head to, or maybe even shake your head to, (laughs) depending on what you heard and what you agree with and what you don't. But if you're not privy to airflow, if, if you're not someone that is dove deep into airflow in the past, I hope you learned something here and I hope you give, I hope it gives you a little bit more confidence going forward to start checking static pressure more to start um, checking different things that pertain to airflow. And as Steve said, they got that true flow device where you can actually check to see if the airflow is correct with this device. So check it out. It's from the energy conservatory. Thank you, Steve. Once again, thank you to the master group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC know it all on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.